Let's see what we can do with this. And we, I need to pray as we begin. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your kindness and for your help in all things, and especially in this particular moment. May uh, this meditation that I bring forward, this, this uh, sermon, homily, whatever it is, this Bible study, may it be true to your word. May it speak to our hearts, and may your spirit uh, have his way with us. We pray now this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. structure right now as so we get started because it will be easier to follow and since you've got something to write on you can just take your pen or pencil and mark your the, the little insert that I've given you. Verses 1 and 2 in Psalm 8 have to do with God's majesty and might. Just straight up his majesty and might begins with that sense of adoration. Verses 3 and 4 have to do with our insignificance insignificance of humankind. Then verses 5 through 8 are really about God's purpose for us. What does God have in mind? And then uh, verse 9 is the result. The result of praise that follows. Verses 1 and 2, God's majesty in mind. Verses 3 and 4, our sense of insignificance. Verses 5 through 8, uh, God's purpose for humankind. And verse 9, the result of praise. And I want to point out, and I'll come back to this, I want to point out that the psalm begins and ends exactly the same way it bookends. It bookends with, uh, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is that your name in all the earth, and ends with, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all bookends every, the, the, whole, the whole thing. The simple question of this psalm is asked many times in the Old Testament and is probably, I, I think, uh, most securely answered in, in Christ. The question is found in verse 4. What is man that thou dost take thought of him? And so that's the, that's the big question. That's the big question. Uh, for some of us, the big question is why God to begin with? Why, why create us to begin with? Why start this whole process to begin with? Uh, we can understand something about salvation. We can understand something about why Jesus came. We can understand a lot about sin. Uh, but we have trouble understanding what was, what's, going through, this, what's going through God's mind. What were you thinking? <laughs> you know? And that's where this psalmist is at. It is, what were you thinking? What is this? And so let's look at this ever so uh, briefly. Uh, the key question again is, uh, why do you pay attention to us? Oh Lord, our Lord. So right out of the box, it begins, oh, this oh Lord is Yahweh. O Lord, Yahweh. And then he says, our Lord, Adonai, and the possessive. So it is Adonai, if you remember, it was the ancient uh, uh, name for God, the ancient designation for God, and it has to do with the 
power. And so it is, oh God of the covenant, our, our God, our mighty God. And notice that this is personal communion. And that this personal communion with this powerful God depends upon this relationship with the covenant God. God who's revealed himself. He says, I am who I am. I'm the one. He's the one who revealed himself to Moses. He's the one who reveals himself in the law. He's the one who reveals himself on Sinai. He's the one who reveals himself on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's the one who reveals himself on Calvary in the tomb. He is Yahweh. And it's by coming in, in this covenant relationship with this God, that uh, with God, the covenant God who makes promises, who makes covenants with us, that we can experience his great power, that he is our God. This is such a beginning. How majestic is your name in all the earth. And so God is the one who reveals himself. Remember, this said Yahweh is a revealed name. He let Moses know. Moses said, well, who should I say sent me, by the way? I, you know, to say, I just had this little encounter with a burning bush that doesn't burn. Uh, it's not going to cut it. Uh, they're going to want to know who's behind this. And, he, and, and, and God very sternly says, just tell them, I am who I am. You know, it's kind of like Popeye. <laughs> I am what I am, and that's who I am. And uh, he's saying, I'm the God who reveals himself. Thou hast displayed thy splendor above the heavens. This is a remarkable word. That word displayed can mean to chant. Your splendor is chanted above the heavens. Now let's get a picture of this for a moment. Let's think uh, along with the Hebrews about how they thought about heaven. There are three heavens. We look out this window here where the trees are poking up. That's the first heaven. That's where the birds fly. Then beyond that canopy into space where the planets and stars are is the second heaven. That's what we think of as being the universe. But the third heaven, the highest heaven, is where God dwells beyond our reach, beyond our grasp, beyond our sensory experience beyond what we can fully grasp and understand. And Psalmist says here, you have displayed your splendor above the heavens, beyond what we can see. But what can we see? Look at verse 2. From the mouth, and the mouth is going to come something that is insubstantial. It's going to be words, sounds. So we have from the mouth of infants, this is a word, toddlers, and nursing babes, thou hast established thy, what? Strength. So from this very form of weakness, something that is insubstantial and something that is really lacks knowledge, lacks all the words to speak, comes uh, God's display of his own strength. And what happens with this this immaterial, uh, immature praise from this comes what? Uh, 
because of thine enemies to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. This is how powerful God is. Is that from a word of an infant, from the insubstantial, uh, not yet articulate, uh, not enough vocabulary, uh, from this minimal expression of God's greatness that knocks his enemies down. That's this powerful word here. I have a verse here that I copied down from 2 Chronicles 20, verse 22, and I, I did this because I know you people don't pack your Bibles with you, so it doesn't do me any good to mention these verses, but I'm going to read it to you anyway. You can write it down for later, 2 Chronicles 20, 22. Je Jehoshaphat is outnumbered by the Am uh, Ammonites, and he sent, who did he send into battle first? I love this. Pay attention. Who does he send into battle first? The sins. I can just see Jehoshaphat saying, let's see, they're expendable. <laughs> and, so, and, and here's how the verse reads. Listen carefully. And when they began singing and praising, the Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so they were Wow, that is such an exciting idea. We're familiar with the temple singers singing praises, marching around in front of the tribes of Jericho, around Jericho, again and again and again. And then in praise, God's praise, is this immense power. So we have this immaterial inarticulate, uh, sort of insubstantial something like praise that defeats God's enemies. And this is for the psalmist. And of course, again, he's a musician, so he may be biased. But for the psalmist, he's saying, this shows the power of God. This shows the power of God. What wonderful thing. God's majesty and might. I know some of you were thinking of this as I was talking about the triumphal entry. Remember, Jesus comes in and at the triumphal entry, the, uh, the good religious people say, do you hear what those children are saying? You know, you, you should really tell them to be quiet. What does Jesus reply? Out of the mouth of babies. And so uh, we also, again, Paul comes to mind out of 1 Corinthians when he says it's the weak things, it's the humble things. It's those, it's those, those little things that really have no power, that have all the power. Because God is willing to display his power in weakness. We see that in Jesus Christ. So these first two verses are this, this, this absolute expression of God's majesty and might. And so the psalmist says, now I, I turn my mind to this, and that is given that this is the case. Why are you concerned with us? Who are we? When I consider the heavens, 
the work of thy fingers. I mean, it's like, he's, as, as God was not having a busy day. So let's just do this over here. He's got his fingers. He's not even throwing his whole effort at this thing. It's, it's minimalist kind of thing. When I see this, what God has done minimally, why us? He says, the moon and the stars, my nighttime meditations, which you have ordained, they put them in their order. When I consider these things, when I see your name written in lights, we ever think about that when you go next time you're at the beach? It's the only place you can see either that or on Mount Hood. Uh, you can see the Milky Way anymore. We've got so much light pollution and air pollution. You've got to get someplace where you have to see it. So go to the beach on some moonless night and uh, carefully lay on a, on a log someplace uh, you're not going to get hit by a sneaker wave and look up at the Milky Way and if you're not filled with awe, you're not alive. And that's what he says. God's name is written in lights. Just a tremendous wonder. Why are you concerned with me? And the Son of Man, that is this kind of weakness, that you care for him. And the, and the word here for care means to visit him. It means to pay attention to him. Um, tend to him. Care for him as a shepherd were a sheep. Why, why do you care for me? Why do you care for me? So uh, this morning, again, I was venting my frustration to God. He gets tired of my whining and complaining, I'm sure. I ask him to have patience before I begin whining and complaining. <laughs> kind of a little preamble. God, have patience with me, but I just have some things I want to whine about. And, uh, and so I was complaining about my inability to actually get to this place of adoration that I want to be in my prayers. I just really adore God for God. Not 
other goddesses that would, why are you listening to me? Why, why are you listening to me? I mean, there are other people that have more important things to say. There are other people that are not whining and complaining. There are other people that are saying, God, how do I get on with it? In their mid-70s are mature finally. And I keep going to God and saying, how could I be this old and not be mature? There's got to be something here. Right here with the psalmist. Right here. <clears throat> Verse 5. And yet, and yet, now there's two pieces to this in verse 5. I'm looking at verses 5 and 6. In verse 5, the psalmist talks to us about being made in God's image. And in verse 6, then, he shifts to our dominance over creation. He says, in spite of the fact that we are humble, we are insignificant in relation to your creation, you have made us in your image, and you have given us responsibility over creation. Look at verse 5. Yet thou hast made him, that is us, a little lower than God. That can be a God, meaning um, any number of things. It just means that we, are, we have high status somehow. You visit us, you pay attention to us, you... You care for us. We are just deprived a little bit of divine status. And yet, thou dost crown him with glory and majesty. So we see, if you're thinking ahead, if you're leaping ahead, you might look and say, is this Jesus who's coming to restore us? what God intended. I think so. I think you can find that here. I think you can find it other places that parallel this, if not here. So, man is fragile. Adam is sinful. We read this all through the Old Testament and into the New. And yet, we are still a little lower than God. He's crowned us. He's come to restore us. And he's given us responsibility. He's given us, he has make him to rule over the works of thy hands. Um, we have complete authority. Now, granted, we have abused that authority. There's even those in the church that use this idea of dominion, meaning that we can, we can um, extrapolate, we can, we, we can squeeze, we can exploit every bit of God's creation for our own uses and purposes without honoring it as someone else's, as belonging to someone else. Granted, that takes place. That's a perversion of this dominion. And granted, that exists. But nevertheless, God has given us this responsibility to rule over the works of his hands. And he's put everything under our feet. And not to exploit, but to tend. And, and then look at how it spills out in, in the rest of verse 6 through verse 8. 
It's just all inclusive. All things under his feet, sheep and oxen, uh, beasts of the field, so we have domestic and wild, birds of the heaven, fish of the sea, uh, so from the depths to the heights, domestic wild depths to heights, the whole schmear. Whatever passes through the paths of the paths of the sea, large and small, whatever's there, in other words, I can't see everything is there, it's going and coming. But I have dominion over because God has given me that responsibility. So he begins by saying, God is so majestic. God is so powerful, so beyond conception. Who are we in significance to God? We're, we're, we're just no one. And yet, you have made us like you. You've made us in your image. And yet, you have given us responsibility. And that responsibility is broad. And, and it is a big responsibility. Do you remember the first time you were ever given responsibility for something? I mean, real responsibility. I do. I was 16. 16. I remember very well what happened. I, I got shipped off at the time I was 11 or 12 years old to my uncle's farm. Uh, my mother was pretty confident that if she didn't do that uh, for the summer, that I'd burn the house down. <laughs> that was that simple. Uh, and there was no one to kind of control me, I guess. And so uh, she just thought it was better for me to burn my uncle's barn down, I guess. <laughs> so she sent me off there. I don't know how happy my uncle was about it. But, uh, but when I was 16, I showed up, and he looked at me, and he said, this summer, you're in charge of irrigation. Uh, now, granted, I didn't know what that meant at the time. It, I didn't know it meant that I'd be getting up at 2 a.m. and 6 a.m. every day to change the lines of water, because they were going off in four hours, and I had to, and I couldn't go to bed when I was tired because I had to start the pump. It was just, yeah. And, and, I, and it meant I got to move all the pipe by myself because I was in charge of irrigation. I didn't know that's exactly what he was saying. But man, at 16, I felt so important. I felt like I wanted to do this right. I wanted, I, I wanted it to be perfect. You know? Here's his psalmist. We hear him saying this. God has given me this immense responsibility. I want to do it right. Wow. The breadth, the depth of this is immense. And where does he end? Well, in verse 9, and we're going to read that in just a second. But I want to slip in a little caveat here. James 3.7 tells us that we've been able to tame everything but ourselves. Everything but ourselves. And there is only one way to deal with this realization that I have been made in God's image and that I have this immense responsibility to do, to take care of what he has established, what he's created. And for us here, let me be careful to say 
that his creation for us is not just limited to this creative order out here, but he has established the church. This is God's church, it is not ours. We have an immense responsibility before him. An immense responsibility to care for his creation, the church. It extends in other ways. Beyond that, it doesn't take much to think about how this extends, what God has created, and we are stewards of those things. We don't possess them. We may not exploit them. James tells us, you can tame everything, but you can't tame yourself. Paul tells us the very same thing. First Corinthians. He tells us again in Romans. That I think pretty much in every book Paul wrote, he tells us that. Only one way to deal with this, and that is to continually lean back on God. To continually lean back on Christ. Continually return to the source. Remake me those gifts or fruits of the Spirit, rather, out of Galatians 5. The Beatitudes. Remake me into your image. These are the image of Christ. Both of those are. Remake me into that image that I might be your steward of whatever you've given me, whatever responsibility. And then he circles back. Oh, Lord, Yahweh, our Lord, oh, powerful God, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this time together. We pray your strength for us. May your praise roll over us and may your purposes for us. We have been made now, remade by your son Jesus into your image. As the Christmas hymn says, the image that was defaced have come to restore. Given that, and with this immense responsibility, we pray. We would be ones who would find words of adoration, no matter how immature, no matter how immaterial, no matter how much they lack understanding, that we would still be ones who praise you in Jesus' name.